This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. It's the story of Elijah calling Elisha. And uh, it's, it's really a, a wonderful story. And so it'll be here on the screens for you or you can follow along. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And we're going to talk about going all in and following Jesus. So in verse 19, it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Now, just for a little context for you, um, Elijah is the prophet in Israel at this time. So he is God's mouthpiece to his people. And he's called to be a prophet at a very difficult time in Israel's history. Israel is turning their back away from the Lord. They are following false gods. They're doing this under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel, the king and the queen. And so we're reading in 1 Kings 19. If you have time later, you can back up and read in 1 Kings 18, and you'll see the story of Elijah confronting 450 false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. So the way that story goes is they set up this test to see who the real God is, and God shows up and proves that he is the Lord, and the prophets of Baal are killed, and Jezebel, the queen, finds out what has happened, and she tells Elijah, so help me if I do not make you like one of them. So she's threatened to kill him. He takes off. He's running. He's hiding. Uh, He goes from this wonderful experience of seeing God's power and God's provision to hiding in a cave thinking that he's all alone. And as he hides in that cave, God comes and he speaks to Elijah and he encourages him by telling him two things. The first thing he tells him is you're not alone. He says, I've reserved for myself 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed their knees to Baal. The second thing he tells him is now you are to go find Elisha and anoint him to be your successor. And so this is where we pick up the story. Elijah has come from God speaking to him. He has traveled to the area where Elisha lives, and he is going to call him to be his successor. So it says, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, before we left for India a couple weeks ago, I knew this is the passage we were going to be in on this Sunday. I knew the one for next Sunday. Um, and so I was doing some of my studying ahead of time, but really wanted to wait and, and actually write the message until we got back because I felt like God would uh, speak to me through the course of the trip and conversations with other people. And uh, he did that, but he did that in a way I didn't entirely expect, especially with this message. So... Um, when we went uh, six years ago to India, we hiked through an area that was um, not really productive for farming. It was mostly just shepherds who lived out there with sheep and goats. Well, this time, we were in a slightly different portion of the country at a little lower elevation. And so the, the valleys that we hiked through, the villages that we uh, stayed in, were largely agricultural villages. And so it was, uh, if you can show me that. T- so this is kind of the, the, the area of India, northern India that we were in. And you can see just the, the terraced farming. Now, it's not something we're real familiar with here in the Midwest because we have 
these huge fields and we grow lots of food, but if you're going to farm in the mountains, you have to cut your field into the side of the mountain. And so you can see all of those steps down. And, and what that means is uh, because the fields are so narrow and so steep, because the villages are connected by footpaths, not by roads, there's no uh, mechanized farming at all. So to go and, and watch these villagers farm is really in a lot of ways to take a step back in time. And we had that experience. Uh, the first day we were hiking, and we hiked about 20 minutes, and we came up to this little farm. And there was a, a lady at the farm who had uh, been hit in the head by a rock that morning. So uh, one of our guys, Mark, was kind of taking care of her and bandaging her up. And while Mark was doing something really important, Eddie Redden was playing with the cows. And so uh, this is Eddie. If you don't know him, he's our, our director for Royal Family Kids Camp. And Eddie hopped over there. The guy uh, invited him. At least that's what we think. It was Hindi, so who knows? He might have actually been saying, stay away from my cows, you dirty Americans. And then Eddie just jumped over anyway. So um, Eddie jumps over, but not only did he let him take his picture, but he also told him, go ahead and and try to plow with my cows, which is not what Song of Solomon tells you, um, but Eddie did it anyways. But this is Eddie's Eddie's attempt here to plow uh, with another man's heifer. And it did not go well. Uh, pretty sure that poor guy spent the rest of his day trying to... We're just hoping Eddie didn't ruin the harvest, really. He can't stop them. They're about to go off the side of the mountain. Um, and then this guy showed us how it should actually be done, is you just walk there. And I'm sure after we left, he had some things to say about us and fixed his own field. Um, but Eddie was the only one willing to, to jump over there and give it a shot. But I, I, I just remember standing there and talking to one of the, the guys who was hiking with us, and I was telling him about what I was going to preach about today and how this was just like the perfect picture of it. Right? Like I grew up in Kansas, and when I think of farming, I think of John Deere's. Right, and I think of huge, like uh, just just acre upon acre upon acre, whole section wheat fields. Uh, and so when I start to think of Elijah walking up on Elisha, that's what I think of. But but more likely, it looked more like this: a small field being plowed by uh, men with wooden plows behind a yoke of oxen, and just working that land. And, and so I want you to. Keep that picture in mind, just that two little cows, a small little field, a wooden plow in the hand as we talk this morning about what it means to follow Jesus. And what we're going to see is that as Elijah calls Elisha, so God also continues to call you and me. And we always face this choice to either keep doing what we've always done or to follow God into the next thing he's leading us to do. And so let's look back at verse 19. It says, So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. The story begins in a, a very ordinary setting. A farmer is plowing his field. Elisha isn't reading the scriptures. He's not fasting. He's not praying. He's not engaged in some kind of ecstatic spiritual experience where he's having dreams and visions of the next season of his life. Instead, Elisha gets up that morning and it's just another day at the farm where he's going to do what he's always done. He's going to hook up his oxen, he's going to get behind the plow, and he's going to work the field. And what the story begins to teach us from the very, very beginning is that God speaks to us in the ordinary moments of life. 
See, I think one of the the things that we can often be mistaken about in the way that God speaks and relates to us is that we have to do something extraordinary to hear his voice. And so we start to think, well, well, if I'm going to hear from God, and you see this not only with Christians, but especially with other religions around the world, this idea of if you really want to hear from God, if you really want to please God, you need to go on the pilgrimage. You need to climb the mountain. You need to perform the rituals. You need to say the right words, dress the right way, eat the right thing, offer the right sacrifice. But what this is teaching us from the very beginning is, no, 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 none of that is necessary for God to speak to you. You see, any attempt that begins, any attempt to hear God's voice that begins with me and my effort is wrongheaded because it reduces God down to something that will only respond when I engage him in just the right way at just the right time. But God, as the one who's before all things, the one who's in all things, the one in whom all things holds together, can speak to you in the most ordinary moments of your life. Or you've had this experience in one way or another. You've been sitting in a church service. You've been driving your car down the road. You've been engaged at work or sitting in a classroom or running errands or working out or working in the yard. And at some point along the way, we've all had this experience where in the, the really ordinary, mundane moments of life, God speaks to us. And those plain, regular moments become holy moments. And one of the ways that we see God's power demonstrated is that he doesn't need us to do anything to speak to us. He is our creator. He is our father. And so he can and will speak to us in any moment. This is what our friends are discovering in India as they're trying to share the gospel with people there. Because of, of cultural forces, because of historical misunderstanding, it's, it's very difficult to proclaim the gospel to share Jesus with others in India by inviting someone to church. They're just not going to go. And so what our friends are discovering is there, there are new ways where they can engage people in just the ordinary moments of life. So they're, they're starting CrossFit gyms, they're opening cafes and coffee shops and trekking companies and all of these different things. And what they're finding is that as they are just part of the ordinary moments of someone's life, God begins to speak in really powerful ways. It's a great reminder to us, and it's also, this story is also a great reminder to us because it reminds us that what I'm doing today cannot keep me from what God has planned for tomorrow. You see, sometimes when we read a story like this, we think, well, that's, that's good, and that's good for Elisha, who's going to be a prophet, but that would never happen for me. And we've got a whole list of excuses why God could never call us to do anything more than what we're doing right now. Sometimes those are excuses are sins of I, I've just, I've done too much wrong. I'm too guilty. You don't know what's been done to me or what I've done to others. Sometimes those excuses are, well, you don't know the expectations other people have for me. Like my, my course has been charted. I have to go down these roads. My parents are paying for this degree. I can't switch the major. I can't pursue something else. I can't, my family's counting on me. My wife or my husband depends on me. My children need me. I can't swerve to the left or to the right. I have to keep going this way because all of life has prepared me for this moment. But what we have to understand is what we're doing today is never gonna stop what God has for us tomorrow. Anytime we think that's the case, 
what we're doing is elevating whatever that is, whether it's our sin, whether it's the thing we're most ashamed of or our success, the thing we're most proud of, we're elevating that above God. And we're choosing to worship it instead of him. But what Elisha's story teaches us is that when God calls, we obey. And we don't make excuses and we don't throw up all these little smoke screens. You know, a lot of times we're really, really good at disguising our disobedience as responsibility. Where God calls us to go and we have a thousand reasons we can't. Where God calls us to give and we have a hundred reasons we shouldn't. Where God calls us to serve and we have all these other commitments that say we won't. But in each one of those moments, all we're really doing is disobeying. No matter how we dress it up, no matter how we try to change it, no matter how we try to manipulate it or tell a good story for other people, what we're really doing is just saying, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm doing this. Another thing Elisha's story teaches us is not only can what I'm doing today not prevent me from what God has for me tomorrow, but often what I'm doing today is preparing me for what God has for me tomorrow. One of the things that made Elisha a faithful prophet was that he had been a faithful farmer. You know, as a farmer, Elisha was used to hard work. He was used to, you get up early in the morning, you work the field, you care for the animals, you remove the stones, you pull the weeds, you plow the field, you plant the seeds, you pray for rain, you believe for a harvest, and then you work the harvest when it comes. And all of these characteristics were the same requirements of a prophet. You get up and you trust the Lord every day and you remove the stones and the weeds of culture. You clear out the sin in your society so that you can plow the ground and plant the seeds of God's word and God's hope and God's life. And then you trust him to bring a harvest in the same amount of time. See, Elisha didn't get up that day and hook up his oxen because he thought, man, I bet today God's going to call me to something different. He didn't go to work that morning because he wanted to look good when Elijah showed up. He went to work because that's what he did. That's what God had put in front of him, so that's what he did. And it's a wonderful lesson for us that even while we might be asking God what his plan is for tomorrow, we keep doing what he's revealed to us today. We've talked about this a lot before, but I think this is an especially meaningful idea uh, for teenagers, for college students, for young adults, right? That, that if you've grown up with, uh, with social media, with Instagram kind of being a, a highlight, a part of your life, this is a challenge that you face where you can feel like at times your life has to always be Instagram worthy, right? So you can't just go get the coffee. You got to take a picture of it and add an inspiring quote first. You can't just go on the trip to India, but you've got to stop and stage a picture every couple hours just so you have proof that your life is more exciting than everyone else's, right? And, and so, I mean, we can make fun of it all day, and, and that's fine, but um, what we really have to pay attention to is when we start to live that way, begin to give in to this, this fear of missing out, of like, well, I can't, I can't ever commit to today because what if my commitment today disqualifies me from something better tomorrow. And so you see this with a, a hesitancy to commit to a job. Well, I can't say yes to this career because what if tomorrow becomes my chance to, to be famous? 
I can't commit to this relationship because what if the girl tomorrow is prettier than this one? Right? I can't commit to going out with this group because what if a better group calls me? I can't. And so it's, it's all of this kind of fear of missing out. But when it comes to following Jesus and when it comes to saying yes to his calling, we don't need to battle any of those fears because when you're following him, you're never going to miss out. You are living for his kingdom, not yours. And it brings tremendous freedom when we begin to understand that the kingdom of God has always advanced not through the heroic acts of a few, but through the ordinary obedience of the many. Of a bunch of people who just do the thing God has put in front of them. And when he has something else, you know what he's going to do? He's going to make it abundantly clear that he has something else. But until that day comes... We plow our fields, and we don't plow them with our head down. We don't plow them with thinking, well, this surely can't be all God has for me, just a life of going to work and providing for my family, and well, there's got to be more. No, we, we, we work with pride. We work with our heads held high. We work with our eyes open, knowing that God has placed me at this moment in this location for such a time as this to be part of his kingdom here. And so I'm not just going to work, but I'm going to work with my head up. I'm going to work with my heart open. I'm going to work knowing that what I'm doing today matters. So we work hard and we work well. And at the same time, as we work, we never hold that plow so tightly that we won't let go when God calls. Because there are moments in life where we are doing exactly what God has called us to. And his spirit begins to work and to direct us to a different path, to a different part of his kingdom. And when he does that, we face a choice. To obey and to follow or to stay where we're comfortable. And Elisha models the kind of response that we should have for us. It tells us Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak around him. This is one of those details that we read and, and maybe don't think about, but it's a really key point in the story. Elisha is a farmer. He's dressed like a farmer. He's working like a farmer. And here comes the prophet. And one of the ways you could identify a prophet is they would wear this kind of rough outer covering. It's made of animal skin. You have a little fur on it. I mean, uh, you know, think uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. It's a terrible movie. I haven't seen it, but I've heard that he wears a bear skin in it. So don't judge me. Uh, but so it, think of that, right? Grizzly Adams, that kind of this, this rough outer covering. And, and he walks by Elisha and he throws that over his shoulders. And then he begins to walk on. When that moment, Elisha knows that something has happened. Because he's no longer holding that plow in the clothing of a farmer. He's holding the plow in the clothing of a prophet. And he has a choice to make. Does he keep the cloak and go on plowing? Maybe take it home and put it in a special spot in his house and pull it out in the decades to come to tell his kids and his grandkids, let me tell you the story about the day the prophet came. Or does he choose to follow Elijah? Does he choose to receive this cloak, this calling that has been placed on him? Does he leave the security of the farm for the insecurity of the life of a prophet. And that's exactly what Elisha does. It says he left his oxen and ran after Elijah. 
Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Elijah places his cloak and then just keeps on walking. He's not going to manipulate Elisha into this. He's not going to try to convince him of it. He just leaves him with a choice. Will you become an active recipient of God's call? Or will you disobey and stay where you are? And so Elisha runs after him, symbolizing his acceptance of this call, but he doesn't stop there. It says Elisha goes and and he asks him, can I just go back and kiss my mom and dad goodbye? Can I just say goodbye to my family? And Elijah tells him, yeah, go for it. And it says, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, Elijah goes home, or Elisha keeps going. Elisha goes home to tell his family what's happened. The other servants who were plowing with him in the field, they would have noticed Elijah coming through and setting that on him, and the word would have spread quickly. And so he chases after Elijah and says, just let me go home and say goodbye. But he doesn't settle for just saying goodbye. He wants everyone to know he is all in on this new calling. And so Elisha, the farmer, takes the instruments by which he's earned his living, the ox, the, the yoke, the plow, And he chops up all the wood, and he butchers the animals, and he cooks the animals. And this is not a quick process. He's not going to the grocery store and grabbing a couple steaks, right? This is a a messy, long, it's a day-long ordeal for him to do this. Then he invites all of his family and all of his village to come and to eat with him. And as he's passing out that meat, and as they're eating together, it's a sign to Elisha it's a sign to his family, it's a sign to his friends that he is no longer Elisha, the, the, the farmer. He is Elisha, the servant of the prophet. And he chooses to reject the security of his established life for the uncertainty of God's calling. And in doing so, he models for us this idea that it's so important for us to not just understand, but to believe and to live out. That my safest space is always the middle of God's will. As Americans, we are experts at planning for the future and trying to negate as much risk as we can. Right? We have health insurance, disability insurance, fire insurance, flood insurance. We have retirement accounts, college savings accounts. We try to plan for every potential disaster and make sure that we're going to be okay when it happens. And one of the challenges of that line of thinking, while it can be very responsible, is that sometimes it can lead us to view all risk as sinful. But there there come times in each of our lives where God speaks to us. And he begins to call us into a season, into a place, into a, a new thing that wasn't on our radar. And in that moment, we face a choice, just like Elisha did. Will we obey and follow it, or will we stay where we've always been? And I love the picture this story provides for us, because I think it highlights that there's really no choice at all. For Elisha, the choice that day when Elijah throws the cloak on him, and he's standing there holding his plow, and he sees the prophet walking away, his choice is, do I follow the prophet or do I follow the cows? 
And we see, of course, you follow the man of God. Of course, you go join your life with a story that's bigger than yours. Of course, you go do that. Don't stay on the farm. Go, Elisha. And yet, how many times have we chosen to follow the cows? How many times has God called us to step out and we've said, no, I'll stay here where I'm comfortable? How many times has God called us to trust him and we've said, no, I'll I'll trust myself? How many times has he called us to give and trust that he will provide and just say, no, I'll I'll just sit on this instead? How many times as parents has God called us to trust him with the future of our children and we've said, no, no, no. We've already got their cows picked out for them. We know the field they'll plow. This is good. This is safe. This is secure. When we were in India, we had the opportunity to talk to a a few people who had become believers in Jesus. And kind of the recurring theme among both those who had followed him, and we also had some, some long talks with a guy who is in the middle of this process and trying to sort it out. And the thing you heard again and again and again was that the number one thing they had to overcome was fear. They knew Jesus was calling them, but they were afraid. Because in that context, to say yes to Jesus is very much like the choice that Elisha faced that day. Am I willing to walk away from everything? Because it's viewed as a rejection of their family, a rejection of their culture, a rejection of their heritage. So the choice they face is, am I willing to risk all of that for this one who's calling me? And we see it highlighted really in, in just a, a very stark example there, but you and I continue to battle the same thing here. When Jesus calls, what you have to overcome is your fear. Your fear of not knowing what's around the next corner. Because if you stay here and do what you've always done, you know when you get to the end of the row, you turn around and start another one. But when Elisha chooses the life of the prophet, it's a life of wondering. But ultimately, it's a life of trusting. And it's a life of joining his story with God's great story. That's the same choice we face. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've never chosen to follow him. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him, made that beginning move in his direction. And if not, I'd encourage you to do that today. Or maybe you're in a season of life and you feel like you're at that crossroads of God's calling, but it's away from your security. And my encouragement to you today is to trust him. To believe that as you join your life with his kingdom, it's gonna be more significant than anything you can do on your own. The time we spend building our own kingdoms in this world is time misspent because our kingdoms are always small, they're always insignificant, and they're always temporary. But the kingdom of God is a story that has been written since before the creation of the world and will continue to be written until he returns and restores all things. And so our call is to take the things that God has placed in our hands and to hold them loosely 
and to say, Lord, if you want me to stay here, I'll stay here. And if you want me to follow you somewhere else, I'll follow you somewhere else. Because it's all yours. This is what it means for Jesus to be our Lord. It's what it means for him to be our king, that when he calls, it's not a negotiation. The only response is obedience. So I know to to many of us, he is speaking, and my encouragement to you is obey. He is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And where he calls you, he will provide for you. And where he calls you is the safest space for you and those you love. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you. And then the the worship team is going to lead us in a few songs. God, I thank you that you see us and you know us. I thank you that you have a plan for each one of our lives. Lord, I ask this morning that you would speak clearly to each one of us. Lord, show us if we are to stay where we are, if you're calling us into a a new season, into a new identity. And as you speak to us, Lord, may we search the scriptures, may we confide in other believers, may we discern what you're saying. And when we know, Lord, may your spirit give us courage to be obedient. May we follow boldly after you for the sake of your kingdom, surrendering all that you have given to us back to you. We pray for those this morning who have not taken those steps of beginning a relationship with you, God. Help them to know that they can trust you, they can follow you, and you will provide for them. We surrender our hearts to you. We ask that you would remove the fear and replace it with faith. That we would know we have been called by you and you will lead us exactly to the right place at exactly the right time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.